Today we're beginning a sermon series for this season of Lent, and it's entitled Soul Reset. And uh, the inspiration for this sermon series comes from this book called Soul Reset, Breakdown, Breakthrough, and the Journey to Wholeness by uh, Dr. Junius Dodson. Uh, Dr. Dodson is the general secretary of our board of discipleship and is a wonderful preacher. He preached at our annual conference uh, this past year. Now, I want to say that no one needs a sermon series like this, like I do. And you know, sometimes you hit on a sermon series that the preacher realizes that if anyone's toes are going to get stepped on in this sermon series, it's going to be the preacher. Because when we start looking introspectively at the things that we need to do to reset our soul, and today's theme is rest, then I think that we all could probably do a little resetting of the soul, right? I know I could. Today I'd like to begin this by turning our attention to the screens and Dr. Dodson is going to uh, share with us a story about what inspired the writing of this book and the resetting of his soul. Turn your attention to the screens. It was the most embarrassing moment of my life. Within the first minute, I knew something was off. I walked up to the pulpit to preach at a funeral, but I was feeling lightheaded and disoriented. I had preached a thousand sermons before while feeling under the weather, and I thought, if I can just power through this message, I'll be okay. As I started speaking, I quickly realized I was not going to make it through the sermon. The next thing I knew, paramedics were putting me into an ambulance. I knew then that I had exhausted myself to the limit. I hadn't taken care of my soul. I needed a soul reset. Maybe that's you today. You're exhausted, overwhelmed, depleted. Maybe you're busy taking care of so many other people that you haven't stopped to take care of yourself. Soul reset is my invitation to you to join Jesus in the journey to wholeness. A soul reset for me meant a new depth of joy and peace that I have never known. And it only came through staying close to Jesus. In this book, there are biblical examples and spiritual practices that will help you keep God first in every area of your life. So that your daily life, your workplace, and your church will never be the same again. Join me today for a Soul Reset. We have these books in the bookstore today if you'd like to pick one up. And we're again going to be talking about the different chapters of this book, this book throughout this sermon series. And today, we're looking at the content of the fourth chapter of the book. And we want to center on resting and listening for the whisper. Today, we're going to be reading from 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, the story about Elijah and Elijah's resetting of his soul. 
But first, I want to talk about a few things related to Elijah so that we can be reintroduced to this great prophet, probably the most famous and dramatic of all of the prophets of Israel. He, predict, he predicted the beginning and the end of a three-year drought in Israel. And he was used by God at one point in time to restore a dead child back to his mother. You know, prophets were noted to be prophets, not by their own self-proclamation, but they had to have done signs and wonders that other people witnessed. And this, of course, the raising of a, a, a dead little boy uh, to life again was just such a sign and wonder. We also remember that Elijah appeared with Jesus and Moses in the transfiguration experience. Remember Jesus on the mountain took the three disciples and they saw not only Jesus transfigured, but they saw Moses and Elijah. Uh, the, the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophets right there in the person of Jesus. But perhaps the most well-known of Elijah's actions was his showdown that he had with the prophets of Baal. And this gives rise to the text that we're going to read this morning from the 19th chapter of 1 Kings. The story that we read today is about this man who in a literal sense was emotionally, spiritually, and physically drained. And the irony of the story of Elijah that we read this morning is that he has just experienced his greatest success in life. He had defeated the prophets of Baal. He'd had this mountaintop experience of success, and yet now he was running from Queen Jezebel. Those were her prophets. And Elijah had upset the order of her worship and understanding to rewrite it back toward the worship of the one true God. Now I want to tell you the content that we have in the 18th chapter of, um, of this 1 Kings that will give us the background and the setup for the 19th chapter. Elijah told um, the people of Israel to gather 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And these prophets of Asherah ate at the table of Queen Jezebel. He told them to gather on Mount Carmel for, in essence, for what would be a showdown. He said to take two bulls and prepare the bulls for an altar sacrifice. And then to, to lay on the altar the wood for the sacrifice. And that fire would be called down from God, not from man, to basically burn that sacrifice. And so the show was on. Elijah told the prophets of Baal to go first. And there they were, 850 of them, limping around this altar where the bull and the wood was. Limping around for hours and hours until they finally started cutting themselves so that the blood also ran, as was their tradition, but no fire came down from heaven. And then Elijah started mocking the prophets of Baal. He started saying things like, well, where is your God? Is your God asleep? Has he gone to the restroom? Where's your God? And he went on mocking and mocking and mocking until they were finally so exhausted 
that their portion was seen as a total failure. Then Elijah had the bull prepared by cutting the bull up in pieces and placing it on an altar that Elijah had had built with 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And and there uh, was the bull and the wood on the altar. And Elijah said for the servants to bring forth four jars of water, jars filled to the brim. And to pour that water on the altar sacrifice, not just one time, but to do it three times. And and, and these 12 jars full of water not only drenched that altar, but there was water that surrounded the altar in a trench that was also dug. And then Elijah prayed to God, the one God, the one true God, And God sent fire down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and it lapped up all the water. It was such an amazing miracle. And Elijah had all of the prophets of Baal seized and in the Kidron Valley, he did to them what Jezebel had done to the prophets of Israel and he killed them all with the sword. Elijah won this contest. Elijah had been to the mountain with God and he had accomplished much. But now he was running for his life because Jezebel had sent word to him that she was out to get him. And so this one who had performed such a wonderful feat, unbelievable feat, was scared to death of the queen. And there he was on the run. Today we pick up there at the 19th chapter of 1 Kings. I'd like for you to turn there with me and let's stand for the reading of the Bible. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more so, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them, but this time, by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness And he came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. And suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake. It was an angel food cake, baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. He got up and he ate and he drank. And then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And at that place he came to a cave and he spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return to your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, and Belaholam as prophet over your place, in that place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a text. You know, Dr. Junius Dotson, in his book, talks about mountaintops and valleys, talks about how each and every one of us have experienced those mountaintops in life, those experiences that we think, you know, it, it can never be that good again. I mean, that was really something. And we've also experienced those valleys that we wonder, how will we ever get out of this? This is low as my life has ever been. Dr. Dotson said, Taking care of ourselves sustains us for whatever life throws at us, be it the mountaintops or be it the valleys. We all have mountaintop experiences, but most of our life is not lived on a mountaintop. We all have valley experiences, and fortunately, life is not lived just in the valleys. Most of us live life somewhere in between. And in this in-between time, we're called to come up with those times. We call them Sabbath times. 
When we listen especially, when we stop and listen especially, when we rest and listen especially to the whisper of God. You know, Elijah didn't manage his success very well. Part of his reset first meant that he needed to get rest. I mean, here he is. He just performed this amazing feat. God had... um, had basically ignited this altar that had been drenched with water. And when Jezebel gave her threat, Elijah gets so afraid of one woman who's the queen that he runs and flees and fears for his life and wishes that God would just take him. He needed a soul reset. He needed a Sabbath. He needed a wilderness experience. He needed food and nourishment He needed water, and the angel saw to it that he had what he needed for that 40-day, night-and-day journey into the wilderness. You know, this is another 40-day journey that we're on. We call it Lent. It's a time that we often look introspectively at the resetting of our own souls, don't we? And, And maybe we need to hear the word of the Lord today right out of the story of the prophet Elijah. What are some of your mountaintop experiences? Would you think with me about that? What are some of the experiences that you have had that you'd call those great experiences? Where where it doesn't seem like life could get any better than this. And then my question, my second question is this. What did those times teach you about who God is and who you are? What did the mountaintops teach you? You know, oftentimes, if you're like me, the mountaintops don't teach me very much because I'm so enthralled in the celebration that I'm needing for little, right? You know, nearly two years ago, we celebrated one of the great gifts of my life, and that has been being your pastor. Uh, A couple of years ago, we celebrated that 20-year anniversary of mine, and You gave me an an Alaskan wilderness hunt, which I said at the time was probably the most politically incorrect thing you could possibly do. (laughs) It would be hard to talk about the mountaintop or the successes, and that has proven to be true. You know, it takes a year to line up such an adventure, so I couldn't go on the wilderness tour immediately it took a while to line up so we immediately got to work on lining it up and in the spring of 2019 I was scaling the mountain in anticipation of the Alaskan adventure which was such a blessing the most embarrassing thing was that um, that when we did that dedication you you actually named a little gray house across the way Um, The Copeland House, which I I just can't say that very much. It feels funny. But the anniversary itself was a day when my family got to come to town and participate in that with me. Um, Our son, Zach, and his wife, Emily, and our daughter, Emily, and her husband, JB, and of course, Claire Bear. Did I tell y'all I had a grandbaby named Claire Bear? And my mom and dad, they were there. My aunt was there. My sister and my brother-in-law, they were there. My nieces, they were there. What a mountaintop experience. It, it just couldn't have been any better. 
And then about a year later, out of the blue came a valley like none our family had ever experienced. My niece of 33 years old, wife and mother of two, softball coach par excellence, was, di- was diagnosed with a, a terribly metastasized liver cancer. And the real hunt I was on at that time in the summer of 2019 was a hunt for peace after a horrendous summer culminating in Megan's losing her bout with cancer on August the 14th, three weeks before that Alaskan trip that I came this close to canceling. Who could have known or possibly predicted 17 months ago, prior to the trip, when the trip was given, the depth of my need for the trip when I actually got to go on it? Who who could have known? Never would I have imagined in a million years that I would have needed a wilderness experience like I needed one three weeks after the death of my niece. My heart was so heavy for Jonathan, her husband, who had stepped up in a way that you, you can hardly ever imagine to be the father of his little Ella, seven, and Davis, four. And my heroic, um, broken-hearted sister and her husband, my brother-in-law, Kyle, who still struggle. This past week, they dedicated the softball field in Bullard and named it after my niece, and that was a, a great experience, but still, feelings are raw. You know, I found myself tearful almost daily, thinking about the weight of broken hearts all around me. And that's the way I went into the wilderness. You know, we go into the wilderness um, when when God says, this is where you need to go. This is the time. This is the place. And and, and sometimes we, we get there because the valleys are so deep and we don't see a way out of the valley on our own. And we have to depend on the resetting of our soul, which is only done by God. It's not what we do. It's what God does through those things, those movements, those actions that avail ourselves to God's Holy Spirit. You know, on this wilderness trip, I think it was day five. I know it was a Monday. I declared it Megan Monday. And I didn't do much that day. Uh, We didn't leave the campsite. I declared myself the camp cook for better or for worse And I spent the whole day reading a little book that I'd taken with me on Into the Wilderness. The only two books I took was my Bible and this little bitty book that was written in 1974. Entitled, Tracks of a Fellow Struggler. It was written by the Reverend Dr. John Claypool. Uh, John is now deceased. He was a Baptist preacher, but became an Episcopalian in the last um, two decades of his ministry, a theological world more suited for him, he would say. I'd known about the book for a long time. In fact, I'd quoted from it several times in sermons, but I'd never sat down and read the book from beginning to end. 
But it was time. The book is basically four sermons that are made into chapters, written in the midst of him struggling with the illness and death of his 10-year-old daughter named Laura Lou. She did succumb to leukemia and died in 1977, 10 years before I actually was diagnosed with the same disease. God whispered softly to me in the midst of the wilderness. On that day, I declared Megan Mundy. As I sat down and I read that book from cover to cover that day, the third sermon or chapter was entitled, Life is a Gift. And John spoke of three routes. Two of the routes he described as total dead ends, and one seemed to be quite promising. I was having my Alaskan awakening. The first route that he described, he said, was a road of unquestionable resignation. He ultimately asked the question, where then did we Christians ever get the notion that we must not question God or that we have no right to pour out our souls to God and ask why? Where do we get that notion? He responded, I honor God by continuing to ask and seek and knock rather than resign myself like a leaf on a rock. He then shared a quote in a letter sent to him from one of his clergy friends, Dr. Carlisle Marnie. Dr. Marnie said, John, I fall back on the notion that God has a lot to account for and will one day. John said, I believed in that moment of reading my friend's letter that God will be able to do all of the accounting that God needs to do. And I can trust that. I could hear the whisper of God. The second dead end route that was described was the road of total intellectual understanding. He said though he was tempted to conclude that everything was absurd, he said a long time ago I decided that you do not solve all of the intellectual problems by concluding that everything is absurd. John quotes another fellow struggler named Dr. George Buttrick. And Buttrick said, Life is essentially a series of events to be born and lived through, rather than intellectual riddles to be played with and solved. We cannot live as if the darkness swallows up the light when we are people who see in a glass dimly and only know in part. I could hear the whisper. And then came the aha for me on that Megan Monday in the Alaskan wilderness. It was a road or a route that John called the road of gratitude. This grieving father said about his daughter, Everything I am, 
I am surrounded by reminders of her. Things we liked together, things she did, things she loved. And in the presence of these reminders, I have two alternatives. I can dwell on the fact that she was taken away and dissolve in remorse that all of this is gone forever. Or focusing on the wonder that she was ever given at all. I can resolve to be grateful. Grateful that we shared life even for an all too short ten years. The way of gratitude does not alleviate the pain but it somehow puts light around the darkness and creates strength to begin to move on. Wow. What a day. Monday with Megan was Monday with God. And God put a gratitude in my heart that made this great adventure a beautiful perspective on life. I experienced God once again as the healer of broken hearts who can bring peace that is elusive when we think we can achieve it on our own. We all have valleys in our lives that we enter. And in those deepest of valleys, we reach a point where God calls us to the cave, just like he did Elijah. And in that cave, we're not looking for the earthquakes and the wind that shatters the rocks. We're not looking for the fire that comes down all of a sudden. We're resting. And we're listening for the whisper of God in sheer Silence. Valleys bring fatigue and exhaustion. Take away our capacity to hear God clearly. When we are tired and burned out, we don't have the space we need, both mentally and physically, to hear God's whispers. God's prescription for Elijah was to get him to a place where he could... Clearly hear the whisper. And for him, it was that wilderness cave. Where, where is it for you? Where has it been for you? Perhaps you're one this morning that is in the midst of a valley. Is it time to go to your wilderness cave? Would you agree with me this morning that life wears down even the best of us sometimes? An attentional set-apart time to rest from the day-to-day -day, or the valley that's beaten us down is God's way of resetting our soul. The resetting of your soul is not ultimately an act that you can do, right? It's a gift of grace that God will do, wants to do, wants to do daily. Wants to do at least weekly, that day we call the Sabbath. And if it so requires, we'll do that resetting 
in a wilderness cave. Jesus knew this too. We see the life of Jesus as one who was always going to the wilderness to pray. What was leaving the crowd, leaving the event, leaving the, 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 the place with people to, to be alone with God. And he could come out of his wilderness cave and he could say to you and to me something I hope we don't ever forget. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And what? I will give you rest. You know, in the old communion liturgy, we used to read that text. Come to me around this table. All of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A rested body will energize your life. A rested mind will allow you the creative thinking that that you need and our spirits need time to reconnect with the source of our identity God as children of God God gave Elijah rest for the journey that lay ahead of him told him to eat something told him to get ready and then you know what he told him you go right back into life You go right back on that path that you went on when you ended up here. You lean into the conflict. You don't flee away from it. For for it's in our going back renewed and restored and our souls reset that we, we can face life. We're not called to retreat forever. And we can face life with the perspective that God would have us face life. God cared about Elijah's physical and spiritual well-being. And God cares for you and for me the same. Rest and listen for the whisper. Amen.